Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Thursday on this December the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2020. And I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. And we're going to be talking about a subject that will be of interest to you. How you doing, Wes? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah, no snow yet. Uh, about a day or two, they say. Is that right? Oh, great. That's just when we're going on a, another trip to preach, but we'll see. <laughs> what we're going to be talking about today, we Christians are to be answering according to God's will. And one of the big problems that's happening today is a lot of people are ignoring the commandments of God. Uh, and we're talking about gays, abortionists, pedophiles. And they're saying that, no, if you have proper love, that trumps the commandments of God. And so that is a sad thing to be saying, uh, particularly in light of the fact that God says his commandments are very true. So we decided that today we're going to talk about a subject that a lot of people are not really that necessarily understanding, and that's called the third use of the law. And the third use of the law, as its proper point of view, is so that we will not dream up or imagine things that are pleasing to God, but they are not. And we're going to be doing this from what's called the formula of Concord. And in the formula of Concord, there is two parts to it, the epitome and the solid declaration. Can you explain, Wes, the difference between the two? Well, the epitome is, is a shortened version, kind of, Kind of in a in a sense a little bit of an outline as to what they're discussing. The solid declaration goes a little bit further into depth about the the article that they're talking about, or in this instance, the third use of the law. In both occasions, they talk about God's three ways in which He uses the law, and. It's very clear these are not three laws, but his three functions. And Function. I don't know of any other function that God makes use of the law. Can you explain the three functions? Well, the three functions, very simply, you know, we teach to in confirmation. It's a curb, a mirror, and a, and a rule, or in this instance, a guide. The third use of the law, the curb, is gross outbreaks of sin, and the mirror is just as it says. You you lift a, a mirror in front of you and look at your face and see how dirty it is. The law shows us how, how dirty we are according to sin, and then the rule itself is is uh, the third use is uh, the guide, which gives us uh, 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 being re regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The uh, uh, guidance as to how God wants us to live. Yes, tells us what deeds and the way that God wants us to live. So 
The first use, as you indicated, is really the governmental use, and that is to protect society from chaos, etc. The second use is the church's use in accusing us of our sins to make us aware of a need for a savior. And the third use of the law is not about Jesus. It's really two believers who want to know what is God's will for me today. And so the controversy that occurred, Formula Concord was written after Martin Luther's death when there was disagreement uh, among the various individuals. And the disagreement was whether or not the third use of the law explanation of God's will for us should be taught to regenerate Christians. And some said, oh, yes, it should, because even regenerate Christians are still sinners who need to know what God's will is. And others said, no, the Holy Spirit will lead us to know what is God's will. And that's why in those instances I was talking about, for example, with uh, gay people or pedophiles, they say, well, it cannot be against God's will because that's the way I was born. So they ignore the commandments from God. And therefore, even back in Luther's day, uh, there were those who did not believe that regenerate people needed to hear the law. Uh, the Holy Spirit would guide them, and that's how they felt about it. Uh, yes, and you bring up a good point because uh, I recently uh, was contacted by somebody that said that they were told by their pastor to be led by, that the Holy Spirit would lead them in the way that they should go. What, it, what would be our response to that? Well, As in all statements, there's a truth to it and a falsity to it. I've often said, every time you look at a Bible passage, you can interpret it in one of two ways, the wrong way and the right way. (laughs) Now, the right way to interpret what you just said, that the Holy Spirit will lead us, is when we hear what the will of God is, the Holy Spirit puts faith in our hearts to believe in Jesus Christ, and we desire to follow the will of God. The wrong way is that the Holy Spirit will guide us without any input from God, according to his commandments, and just the way we feel. So I always would ask the person, what do you mean that the Holy Spirit will guide us? He only guides us through the word of God. God, yes. That is so critical, and many today in the world don't think they need the Word of God to know what the will of God is. Yeah, very well said. I think that just hits the nail right on the head, that uh, if we want to know the will of God, we go to His Word. Well, I got another question for you. Go. In, In this article that we're covering, The Third Use of the Law, it, it writes there that our first parents have the law written in their hearts. 
What does that mean? I mean, they knew the, knew the law, but went ahead and broke it anyway? Yes. They had the law written in their hearts, and before their fall into sin, they joyfully wanted to follow God's will because of their closer relationship to God. We also will have the law written in our hearts when we get to heaven. We will not need to hear the law. We will have new bodies, and of course, the Holy Spirit will be guiding us even in heaven, and a new spirit, so that there will be no need for the law to be heard to accuse us of our sins in heaven. In fact, the article also says there's no need for the gospel in heaven. Mm. Now, that's kind of a thing that I don't think a lot of people realize because they say, well, don't you want to know in heaven that your sins are forgiven? Well, there are no sins in heaven. And you go to heaven with an understanding that Jesus Christ has been your Savior, and therefore there's no need for the law to motivate you. A, a number of times uh, throughout these articles, they talk about a distinction between living under the law and living under grace. Can you help explain what that means? Well, living under the law is is uh, you you know that you better better keep it is it, by force, and living under grace is uh, a generous person wants to wants to work towards keeping what God's will is and commands and 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 living His word. Excellent distinction. Yes, in in fact, they they talk about the distinction between the works of the law and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The works of the law are those which we're kind of forced to do. When you were growing up as a kid, you had to go to bed at a certain time. You had to eat everything on your plate. You had to be home in time for supper. Uh, maybe you had chores around the house to do. None of what you really wanted to do, but afraid of the discipline that might occur if you don't do it, you usually would do that. Those are works of law that saves no one. But the more you get to love your parents, the more you're willing to do things for them without the motivation of punishment or threat. And that's the distinction between the regenerate individual who has the Holy Spirit motivating him to do what God's will is, and the unregenerate person, which every Christian is, because we have an old Adam in us. What, what, what's the old Adam? Yeah, I was going to bring that up about the old Adam. I mean, it's the original sin that uh, creeps in and is very much a part of us. So God regenerates us through the Holy Spirit, which comes from baptism or uh, faith in, in hearing the Word of God. Why is it then that that the old Adam is not uh, completely regenerated and it still clings to us in the flesh on this side of the world? Well, of every time 
a question is asked like you just asked. We need to give a Bible verse to help explain. And I don't think there's a better one than Romans 7 and Paul's mm. confession. What does he say there? The good that I would, that I should, I do not. Yes. <laughs> and that's because sin within me. In, in other words, there's no doubt that a regenerate Christian is no longer under the law in the sense that he must obey God's commandments to go to heaven. He is freed from what is referred to as the curse of the law. In the day that you sin, you shall surely die. And that freedom then moves him to be properly motivated by the Spirit to do the works of God. And the more he's at church, the more at Bible study, the more he's reading his Bible, uh, the more he desires to do fruit of the Spirit rather than works of the law because he has to. Yeah. Well, it says here in, in the, that the old Adam is like an unruly, stubborn thing in us and is, and is still a part of them, and it must be forced to obey Christ. So we we drown the old Adam, put it to death in our baptism and in our regenerations, which you're talking about, huh? Yes, and remember, he's a pretty good swimmer. <laughs> Very good swimmer. Yes. So even the works, the good works of believers are imperfect. But uh, according to this uh, article, they are still acceptable and well-pleasing to God, not because that is what the law teaches, but the gospel teaches that our works are acceptable to God because of our faith in Jesus Christ, which gives two gifts. For sins of commission, we are forgiven. And for sins, good works we omit to do, we wear the robe of righteousness. And what, what is this robe of righteousness? Is it something that we've concocted? Well, it... it the robe of righteousness is uh, where in our baptisms, God comes to us, and when when we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, He gives to us His robes of righteousness, and uh, through through Christ, or as Romans would say, um, He became sin who knew no sin, and Jesus took off the robes of our sins and put them on himself and yeah, the, gave to us his robe. The best example I can think of is a parable Jesus did. We mm. call it the lost son. It's really son. the two lost sons. But when the son returns to manipulate the father, the father runs out to him and the son's attitude changes. And he just says, you know, I've sinned before God and before you. And what does the father tell the servants to bring out to the son from the village? Well, his ring and his robes and his sandals. Yes, the best robe, which would be the robe of the father. And in that parable, Jesus is the father who suffers for 
what the son had done, but still welcomes him back into the family and attempts to do so also with the older son who gets all angry because he feels he wasn't treated by the father the same way that the father is treating the younger son. Right. Well, don't we teach so that uh, in baptism, and when Christ was baptized by by John, he, is when he takes on the sins of all mankind, and therein lies in our baptism where we get our robes of righteousness? Yes, because Jesus argues with John the baptizer. John says, hey, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus' response is, no, it is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And that word Mm -hmm. righteousness means to fulfill the will of the Father who sent me to earth, not only to become incarnate, but also to become sin for the whole world so that when he died on the cross, he would be paying for the sins of everyone. Okay, now I got another statement here for you. Go. Believers are not completely renewed in this world. What, what's uh, the, the confessions talking about there? Well, even after you are baptized, take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. There's mm-hmm. no doubt that you may not commit an act of murder, but you still break that commandment when you have bad thoughts about someone or say bad words about them, and the punishment is the same. So this side of heaven, we never get to that perfection that is supposedly necessary to get into heaven. That's why God perfects us by giving us the robe of righteousness. So we're always, any parent that has children knows that those children will be disobedient again and again, and so the parent uses the law and punishment until the child begins not to do works of the law, but works of the spirit, and that occurs because the motivation toward the parents is one of love rather than just, well, I better obey them or else I'm going to get disciplined. Hmm. And the other thing that it brings up, which I thought was rather interesting, was that uh, the Holy Spirit renews the heart. And as it states here, that he he is given and received, not through the law, but through the preaching of the gospel. Yes, that was what Pentecost was all about. And even at Pentecost, if you'll recall, Peter, (laughs) you have killed the Christ. And then the people ask, what can I do? I preached about that last night. And the point I made, the title of the sermon is, what are we to do? And Peter's answer, when they ask him, what am I to do, is that there's nothing you can do. Instead, you are to be baptized, which is a passive, which means God is going to do something for you. And in the waters of baptism, you now become assured of the salvation you have because God attaches a promise 
to the waters of baptism. It's kind of like there's no special water or anything. But remember, when they went through the Red Sea, God had Moses lift his rod over the sea. Now, is there something about the rod that caused the sea to open up? No. God just used that as a sign that God was the one saving the people. Is there something about the water that is particularly holy? When, when, when you baptize, do you make sure you wait until you get water from the Jordan River to use? <laughs> no, you wouldn't wait for that water. It's the no. water connected with the Word. That's right. So you can use tap water. You can use water from a water bottle, etc. It doesn't matter because, as you just said, what makes it a divine washing is the promises of the word connected to it. I baptize you into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kind of reminds me of a, a Lutheran fellow that was talking with his Baptist uncle, and he tried to say that uh, by immersing, they really got a baptism, whereas all the Lutherans did was sprinkle some water. And then the Lutheran nephew looked at his Baptist uncle and said, and where's the power of baptism? Is it in the in how much water you apply or is it in the Word of God? And he thought for a moment and he finally had to say, I think you Lutherans take more seriously the power of the Word. Yeah. Yeah, and remember what the symbol was for baptism in the early church? Was it a shell? Yes. Well, why would you use a shell if everyone had to get dunked? It's not <laughs> wrong to dunk a person, but it's not necessary. It's just necessary that water be applied. Mm. And it's interesting talking about this third use of the law as a guide in our life, it just naturally flows for us as Christians to talk about regeneration and baptism. Now, I learned something in preparing for today. If we talk about one of the functions of the law as mirror, what does that function as a mirror? Mirror is, 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 is to look at things that we commit daily in terms of, of sin is preaching, as you brought out before, preaching of the law. Yes, but it's interesting that this article, it's in uh, Formula Concord, uh, number 21. Let me read it. But God's law prescribes good works to believers in this way. It shows and indicates at the same time as in a mirror that in this life works are still imperfect and impure in us. Mm. So that that's a really good example of how you just said the mirror is reflecting on our true condition before God. And therefore, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that uses the law. It's just not a means of grace. It's a means of judgment. Mm. Yeah, and they, they use uh, Psalm 119. I will run in the way of your commandments. Mm. 
Yes. That that that's by um David. David where yeah. he so loves the Lord that he wants to run in the way of his commandments. See that's mm-hmm. the difference between a work of the flesh and a work of the spirit. Yeah. And it goes on to say, but the gospel teaches how and why our spiritual offerings are acceptable to to God through faith for Christ's sake. Yes, through faith, even though believers are not completely renewed in this life, there is no doubt that they are not under but in the law as the Holy Spirit guides and motivates them to want to do the good works of God. And there it goes when it talks about that the old Adam is still there and it's needed for the penitent and the unpenitent, the regenerate and the unregenerate, or other words, believer and unbeliever. So tomorrow's Law and Gospel is an open mic where you can email us or somehow write us a letter and maybe even talk about this subject. I'm Tom Baker. You've heard Wes Reimnitz. We're going to be back, God willing, next Thursday and tomorrow on Open Mic. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.